Welcome to the Thinking Finance podcast. The following podcast will feature opinions and comments on financial markets and instruments. Nothing in the podcast should be taken as direct financial advice. Financial advice should only be taken after all individual circumstances have been considered. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Thinking Finance. We're on episode three of our first series. My name is Ashley King, I'm your host and independent financial advisor from Lancashire, England. Thank you for tuning in again if you've been listening all the way through. If this is the first episode, please do go back and have a listen to the first two. I'm sure you'll find something interesting in them. I actually clarified that it's Lancashire, England at the start there, as uh, when I was going through the statistics that I get from my podcast provider who who I submit the episodes to and then they distribute amongst all the different platforms is that I actually got notification that I've had a few overseas listeners I've had a a couple listeners from America a couple listeners from Holland and a a listener from Belgium funnily enough so if you are one of my overseas listeners welcome Uh, any questions you've got please do fire away but yeah, as always, I like to start the episodes with a bit of a thank you for all those people who have tuned in. Uh, again, I can't believe the support I've had so far. The the amount of listeners I, I've had across all platforms. There's quite a lot on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts now. So I, I, it's just it's taken off a lot better than I uh, I expected. I have so many more listeners than I thought I would do. You know, coming in from the cold, no real. Uh, pre-existing follow, following it's not like um, someone with an established name say Martin Lewis um, I, I've just started an Instagram page out of nowhere and the support I've had so far is tremendous so re- really thank you for that I, I, I appreciate it again keep sending me feedback I, I've been getting good tips every week that hopefully make me a better listen for you people telling me what they like to hear what they've not liked uh, what, what, what could be better Please do carry on sending them in as obviously as the podcast grows, I hope to grow as well and be uh, a, be- a better host for you. But again, thank you to everyone. Now before I start, please don't run away, but we are going to be talking about pensions today with our off-topic section discussing the thing on everybody's lips has been all year, coronavirus, COVID-19. Now... I said don't run away when I said uh, that we're going to be talking about pensions because a lot of people just aren't interested. They perceive them as probably the most boring thing in the world and especially I know I've got a lot of young listeners. Um, I think my core range of listeners are between 22 and 27. Though please don't run away if you're uh, you're outside of that age, age range because the podcast is for everyone. And I, and I do think everybody could take something away. But yeah, for, for those younger listeners, you know, people who are around the same age as me, I'm 25, understanding your pension at an early age is the key to having a great retirement. So many people, obviously, you're at the start of your career, you're just starting to make a few waves, move up, or, or you're just trudging along, whatever you're doing, as long as, long as you're happy. But... I think almost everybody listening to this podcast now, if not everybody, will rely on a pension at some point in their life. I mean, 
anyone who gets to retirement who doesn't need a pension or, or doesn't use a pension, we're talking people of you know pretty much extreme wealth there. Um, for everybody else, your pension is going to make or break your retirement. Now, when I talk about pensions, there's two that you should be aware of. Um, there's your private pension or your personal pension or pensions as it may be. And then there's the state pension. The state pension is what the government pays you when you get to a predefined age. So currently it's 67. It's expected to be at least 70 when I get to get up there to receive it. And then your personal pension is the one you have built up through your yourself or your workplaces throughout your career. They're run by you and um, that that's really your supplementary part, what, what you're going to use to really enjoy your retirement. Now, a lot of people just really poo-poo the state pension saying that it's uh, it, you know it, it, it's worthless but it, honestly it is the building block to many a good retirement so anybody who's retired this year or, or got to state pension age of 66 this year will have started receiving their state pension of nine thousand one hundred pounds roughly i think it's a couple quid more than that and that goes up every year with the triple lock guarantee, which is basically the government guarantee to include uh, increase the state pension every year, either by two measures of inflation or 3%, uh, whichever is the highest, uh, is, is generally the case. So I know that this year it's £175 a week. Last year it was 168 you might think that seven quid a week isn't a big increase, but you know we're talking well over three hundred quid a year. It makes a difference. It's a food shop. It's your gas and electric bill. It's your council tax. What whatever. It's it's certainly a valuable and guaranteed part of income. However, that doesn't change in terms of what what it is or or in undercut current legislation it, it, it's not changing as long as you've paid enough national insurance contributions which is generally 35 years worth of full contribution so if you work 35 years between the ages of uh, 16 and 70 as it'll be for us you you will receive a full state pension you have options to top it up but today i'm primarily c concerned with your private pensions or your personal pensions because obviously, whilst £9,100 a year is, is a good amount of money, it's probably not enough to live off for the majority of people, assuming that I've got a lot of listeners that, say, are earning around £20,000, £30,000, whatever your salary is. If you want to maintain a similar lifestyle in retirement, with obviously some reduced bills, assuming you've paid off your mortgage you're going to need more than that £9,100 to maintain a degree of lifestyle that's going to make you happily retired. So we're going to get on and talk about your private pensions. When we talk about private pensions, there are two main kinds that you could potentially have. You could either have a DB scheme or a DC scheme. Now, they stand for Defined Benefit Scheme or Defined Contribution Scheme. D 
Defined benefit scheme is what most people think about when they think about a pension. However, in reality, I would say 80% or perhaps even higher than that now of my listeners. Now, hearing me talk, we'll have a DC scheme. So I'm going to base most of my uh, content around a DC pension, defined contribution pension, but I will explain the differences now. So a defined benefit pension essentially means that you pay into a pension all your life, uh, your employer pays in as, as long as you're, you're, you're under what they call pensionable service, i.e. working for some company that makes you eligible for a pension. When you get to retirement, that pension pays you a defined income. That's, that's where the defined benefit is. Now that income or benefit is defined on a number of factors including amounts of contributions, how long you've worked there, how much you've earned when you've worked for the company and um, a, a, a couple of other extrinsic factors such as how the underlying investments have performed and what, what the company or the actuaries are using for inflation. And they pay you that guaranteed income for life. Sometimes you'll get a tax-free lump sum at the start, but essentially there is no flexibility when that pension gets in payment. You will get a pension added to your state pension, get that paid every month, and that will usually go up with inflation. If anything happens to you, should you die, normally if you nominate a wife, a spouse, or you've got children under the age of 18, or a husband for that matter, sorry, they will get 50% of your your pension. Now, that was what everybody had previously. Essentially, your maybe not your parents of this generation, but certainly their parents. Most people, it's not like the market is, is today with jobs. Most people only had one or two jobs in their entire career. They might leave school at 16. Okay, they might have gone to college till 18, but university was fairly rare, say in the 60s and 70s. You'd get your job and usually you'd work for the same employer or, or, or maybe one or two across your lifetime till the age of 60. You'd, you'd build up this pension, retire at 60, and they would pay you that income until you died added onto your state pension. Now, that was fine for companies then because in the 60s and 70s, conditions weren't great. People's life expectancies, to, to say it bluntly, were lower. People generally didn't live as long. If you speak to your parents or any of the older generation, you, you're talking a lot of their grandparents and grandmas and grandpas they they were probably dying in the 60s and 70s but obviously technology medical science goes on people are living longer now the issue with defined benefit pensions is that by law and they're underwritten by the government they have to be paid until you die so in the 60s 70s and 80s when people would you know paying into a pension for 40 odd years getting to age 60 getting a nice little bit of a, a lump sum and a, a month a monthly payment, you know, if they were only living eight or nine years, the pension companies were probably making a bit of profit. And those who did live a little bit longer, well, there was enough money in the tank because most people were, uh, were, were only living to the life expectancy. 
Now, obviously, what's happened as time's gone on is that those people who were dying, say, age 70, 75, are now living to age 85 and 90. They're only paying in the same amount into, into the pension scheme, but then suddenly the scheme administrators have to pay this money out for longer. If people are living for longer and this money's guaranteed and underwritten by law, all of a sudden there's all these deficits coming up where the pension companies can't afford to pay it. That introduces our modern defined contribution schemes. Now, in, in contrast to a defined benefit, so a defined benefit tells you what you're going to receive. A defined contribution tells you what you're going to put in, i.e. The, the only defined bit of, of the pension is what goes into it. Essentially, a standard workplace pension scheme these days will be a defined contribution one because essentially defined benefit schemes are too expensive to run. I think the current life expectancy for me is age 88. That's only going to go up for people of the younger generation. So pension companies and employers can't afford to be paying a load of staff who have been on the payroll for 30 odd years after they've retired they can't afford to it's just not sustainable so the move to define contribution pensions means that you pay into your pension say you put in a hundred pound a month your employer has to pay in they put in 50 pounds a month say that 150 pound goes into your pension it's invested it grows over time and then when you get to retirement you've got a pot of money that you can do what you want with. You can draw off it or you can take a tax-free lump sum. You can buy an annuity. An annuity is essentially a defined benefit pension, but you have to buy it yourself. But at the end of the day, when you get to the retirement age, you'll have your pot of money and, and that is it. It's not guaranteed by anyone. It's subject to investment returns. And the main thing to consider is once it's gone, it's gone. So... The difference is quite clear because when you get to retirement with a defined benefit pension, you don't have a lump sum of money. You've got a guarantee that you're going to be paid an income for the rest of your life. When you get to retirement with a defined contribution pension, which the majority of listeners will have, you've got a pot of money and you've got to make that last as long as you can to sustain your lifestyle. So obviously, that's where I go back to the state pension being very important because that is guaranteed for life if you get rid of you know uh fire sh shoot up all, all your defined contribution pension up the wall you know spend it all on a ferrari whatever you do once that's gone the only guaranteed income you've got is the state pension and if you can't live off nine thousand one hundred pounds a year that's when you're uh, you're in trouble and I, I chuckle a little bit but it is a sad reality that that is the case uh, a lot of people previously have just not been interested in pensions or have thought they're a scam and they're the ones who've suffered a lot um for example uh, I, i've had people approach me clients approach me who've always said well i've never really bothered about a pension but now i'm now i'm 50 now i'm 55 i need to probably have a look and see what i've got and how, how much i can retire with and 
I remember one client coming to me, it was very early into my, my career as an advisor, and he, he was quite an intelligent man, um, fairly high flyer, did well, worked in middle management positions in decent companies. Uh, I, I'm, I'm talking somebody who earned in anything between 40 and 60,000 pounds, depending on where he worked. Never really bothered with a pension. As soon as he's gone to a workplace, he's opted out. The only pensions he's ever really contributed to or an employer's contributed to uh, have been ones where he's, he's forgotten to opt out or didn't require him to contribute to. This this bloke was in his 50s and he came to me and said, all right, uh, I'm probably looking at retiring at about age 60. And I said, okay, well, we, we need to see what you've got and what you need to live off. And he basically told me he wanted to maintain the similar lifestyle that he had now. Said, yeah, you know, probably I'll pay the mortgage off in a couple of years. So, th let's say, thirty-five grand will, will be enough for me to live off. That's a fifteen grand pay cut, but I'm not paying a mortgage. Thirty-five grand a year will be good. And then we went through it, and this this bloke had a master pension of just over a hundred thousand pounds. Now, a hundred grand to 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 anybody, I would say, is a lot of money. But in this sense, if he wants to retire at 60, his state pension is only going to kick in at 67 and he needs 35 grand a year to live off, Thir suddenly £100,000 not a lot of money because he's got to withdraw that money from his personal pension. He doesn't have anything else. And all of a sudden, that's what? Three years income? And, it, and, and this was just simply somebody who hadn't bothered with pensions throughout their life and heartbreakingly that person get gets starts looking at retirement and all of a sudden wishes that 30 years ago they'd opted into the pension so that is why it's important to consider what you have now and i am going to go through some figures just to show the difference now that that was a fairly rare case i i, I have seen plenty of people who've basically got to retirement and and haven't paid into a pension as much as they should have done and they've had to basically tailor their expectations. So, for example, the gentleman in question there, he now has a choice. He can either smash into his pension now, pay into it as much as he can, and retire later. And say he retired seven years later when he got his state pension, hopefully he, he might have had the chance to amass a bit more wealth and then hopefully can, can retire then. So he had to might might have had to retire later, or he had to adjust his income requirements. So he might have to say, well, all right, thirty five grand a year is not going to work for me. Maybe twenty grand a year, and see if that works out for him, or somewhere in between, retiring later, wanting less, etc. So just to keep you know your eyes open really you know one day you are going to want to retire so you need to be aware of what your pension is and what you require i always say that pension planning and retirement planning is a very simple principle with very detailed uh, anomalies so the the simple thing about retirement is it's it's something that requires two key questions question number 1 is how much do you need how much do you need to live? What What's your required income to be comfortable in requ retirement? And the second question is, how much do you have? 
them two simple things. Now, obviously it's not as straightforward as that, so the anomalies with how much do you need, Not nece you're not necessarily gonna need the same amount all, 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 all your life. So for example, someone might get to retirement with a massive pension pot, but they might say, well, I wanna spend most of that in my 60s whilst I'm still fairly mobile, because when I'm in my 80s and I'm just sat smoking a pipe and reading the paper in my rocking chair, I'm not going to be going on jet, jets around the world. I'm not going to want to go on them cruises. I'm not going to be going watching football every week. I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to be sat at, sat at home living quite a sedentary lifestyle. So that's something to consider. You might need more income up front and less down the line. Or there might be lump sum lump sums required so say you get to your, your 60s and this is a common problem these days you might get into your 60s and still be paying off your mortgage so you might need a lump sum just to get that over the line you know redeem that get get shut of it uh, the intangibles with regards to what you have so obviously if you're somebody who's 40 targeting retirement at 60 and you've got x amount in the pot and a mortgage etc you've got a bit of control over there. So you might say, right, oh, okay, so I've got this now. This is what I think I'm gonna need in retirement. I'm going to double my pension contributions rather than spending 100 quid a week on the horses. I'm gonna put that 100 quid into my pension and uh, hopefully that gets me to where I want to be at retirement. Now, that's that's the principles of it now i'm just going to talk a bit about how you can take advantage of this some tips to do now i did promise in an instagram post earlier this week and i always love to plug my instagram on the podcast thinking underscore finance that's at thinking underscore finance if um i i, I said in a post earlier this week that pensions is literally three free money and I'm not lying by saying that. So you get your free money in two kind of ways. The first way is that by law, your employer has to pay into your pension. The minimum contribution for an employer is 3% a year. Some employers do more, but I think the majority of employers do the statutory minimum. So say... In an ideal world, we'd all be there, but say you earn £100,000, by law, your employer has to put £3,000 into your pension a year. That's three grand that you will get for absolutely nothing. As long as you're paying into your pension, your employer has to also pay into that workplace scheme. So that's your free money one. 3% of your salary guaranteed by your employer, hopefully, You've got a really sound employer who uh, likes you and puts a little bit more in. But in most cases, the minimum you can guarantee is 3% from your employer. Now, the other bit of free money that you're going to get is tax relief from the government. Now, for every contribution you put into your pension, the government essentially net it up or potentially if you... So if you want to put in... I'm just trying to explain this properly for you, but if you want to put in £100 a month into your pension, that will actually only cost you £80. So what the, the, the usual way of doing this is called the relief at source method. 
what that essentially means is your contribution to your pension is a hundred pounds a month however of that hundred pounds the government will pay 20% of it so obviously a hundred pound for round figures 20% is 20 quid that means that of every hundred pounds you want to put in the government's going to put in 20 quid now you have the choice you can still put in a hundred pounds and you're going to get your little bit extra on top or you can net down to 80 pounds so so your pension's getting in a nice little hundred pound top up but essentially it's only costing you 80 quid so as an investment tool for, for them you're getting three percent from your employer on an annual basis and you're getting a 20 percent top up from the government as an investment tool there is nothing out there other than the roulette wheel or the blackjack table that's going to get you your money that much higher straight away it's just not but there are penalties because of that so with your personal pensions they're only accessible by a certain age so it was actually announced i think it was a couple of months ago now that the age that you can access your private pension is going to be 57 in the next five or six years I'm assuming that's probably going to push up a little bit further by the time our younger listeners get to retirement, maybe even the 60 range or, or, or 58 or 59. So that means that you're up, this, this money that you, you put into your pension, once it goes in, it doesn't come back until you get to retirement. The clever thing about that is it's, it's because the government want you to pay in. They don't want you to be relying on the state and they hopefully by locking away that money, getting it into a, an investment portfolio, it's going to grow by the time you get to retirement and, and you're not tempted to, to dabble at it or, or take a little bit of a, off the top. And I know certainly if you could take, it, take money from your pension straight away uh, and there was no penalties for doing so, a lot of people will put in 80 quid in and then withdrawing hundred pounds straight away because you know it's a it's a free twenty quid. But at the end of the day, no, nobody's gonna turn the noses up at that. So the, there are penal, penalties uh, or, or, or downsides to paying into a pension, but largely a pension is a retirement tool, and you shouldn't be drawing from it until you need it for your retirement or. To age your retirement, for example, I, I have clients who've recently taken money out of a pension at age 55, which is their a, the, the, the current age they're at, to pay off their mortgage. Now, the clients, that they, uh, they intend to work for another 10 years, but now they're able to work at the part of their career where their earnings are maximised at the end of the day. The, the, they've, they've been working since they were 18 and now their earnings are at an all-time high now now they're maximized they've paid off a mortgage they don't have that monthly expense and you know it's usually your largest expense your mortgage so they can save extra money away now and and really prepare for retirement without having a mortgage now obviously the downside is is that the pensions are a little bit smaller because they've taken money out to pay the mortgage off but the flip side is is that they're able to save more. So it, it is a balancing act. Now, a key thing that you should be aware of your pensions is that every employer has to offer you one. 
if you're as as long as you're in the eligible bracket now the eligible bracket is earnings of at least ten thousand pounds and aged between 22 and 65 years old which i think will cover pretty much all, all, all my listeners and maybe a couple younger if you're younger than 22 you can still opt into the pension scheme but by law your employer doesn't have to actually pay into that usually they still will as a gesture of good goodwill I, I, i've never met a, an employer that refuses to to pay any money to their younger staff's pensions but it is something to be aware of that by law they don't actually have to but I kind of touched on it before that I don't want to say in the olden days because it makes it's a pretty childish statement. But many years ago, when everybody had the DB schemes, when I said you probably only had one or two employers, that is so different now. And everybody will know. I, I'm assuming most people who listen to this have had a couple of employers at least, maybe more. For example, I've since I've been of pensionable age, I've had three employers and well, I'll keep this a bit quiet just in case my uh, my current gaffer's listening, but maybe I'll have another employer, maybe I'll have a few other employers in my lifetime, you never know. But in the current climate, I think I read the average person will have between five and seven uh, employers through their lifetime. If that's the case and you've got a pension scheme with each employer, you need to keep on top of that because at the end of the day, if you're going to start withdrawing from pensions when you get to retirement, which I'm assuming everybody is, you don't want them to be all over the place. So one thing that you can do, which is very important, is consolidate your pensions. I would always advise doing this unless there's something really amazing about a previous workplace pension scheme is bring your pensions with you. Now, if you want to do that, you can get a financial advisor to do it for you. They can consolidate it or put it on a private pension at the side. Or simply, if you ask your current employer, or you may have received letters in the post, who your existing pension provider is, you can call them up and you can ask them, how do I put in, put my older pensions into this into this current one that i'm paying into now you know consolidate it make sure your money's all in one place and also you can expect that it'll go up higher in monetary value because it's all you're obviously you're investing more money it's pretty straightforward to do i know i i did mine last year Uh, i'd been paying into my new workplace scheme for a year at that point and i'd just not um i'd just not thought about sorting out my previous ones now i did that i think i had a pension with standard life and the people's pension went into my current one with royal london now i've got pretty much ease of administration i can have a look at my pension i can choose my own investments and uh, I, I know where i'm going i've got target figures of what where i want to be by certain ages and hopefully i can meet them so i can start keeping one eye on retirement so when I get there I know what it's going to look like now that's one last thing I want to two last things let's say one last thing I want I just said it again no two last things I want to touch on two is you can choose your own investments in your pensions but generally it's non-advisable so what you will be in if you're in a DC pension within your workplace scheme 
you'll be in what's called a lifestyle fund, which will basically mean the fund will change the older you get. So whilst you're young now, you'll be taking a little bit more risk. You'll have more stocks and shares in your pension. That will have the knock-on effect of growing more whilst you're younger. Now, obviously, when the market goes down, your pension will drop more. But because you're young, you've got many years to, uh, to, to, to build them returns back. And generally, over the long term, the, uh, the, the graph will show your pension value going up. And then what will happen is when you get into the ages of 40 and 50, you'll try and lock in the returns that you've built up over the last 30 or so years. And you'll start slowly moving to the non-risk assets that I discussed last week on the podcast. They are, you know, cash and bonds or maybe a bit of property. Things that are more stable that aren't going to go up and down every time Trump sends a naughty tweet or, or, or something along them lines. So... Unless you are well-versed in investments, I would just generally either ask an advisor to pick a fund for you or just trust your workplace and generally you'll, you won't go far wrong. It's just really knowing what you're paying into and paying in what you can, keeping one eye on the future and, uh, and, and going from there. Now, the last thing I wanted to touch on when I was doing my research earlier this week I was doing what what I call cash flow modeling. Uh, I touched on this last week with in, from an investment point of view, but this week I'm going to talk about it on a pension point of view. Now, what I ran in, I did a simulation of somebody age 20 who starts off with a pension worth £100. This person is a, earning £20,000 a year and does for the rest of their life, so assuming no pay rises other than inflation, so the money goes slightly up as inflation grows uh, and the contributions stay at 8% a year, 5% from the, the person and 3% from their employ employer. And I just wanted to highlight the difference of what money this person has when they get to age 60 if they start the pension at age 20, 30, 40 or 50. Now, the simulation showed that if the person starts contributing 8% of their salary and they never get a pay rise which is obviously unlikely so I'm taking a cautious view here contributing 5% of the salary with an employer contribution from age 20 means they get to retirement at age 60 with a pension pot of over £245,000 now if that person's only earned uh, 20 grand a year for, for all their life they can live off that pension until they get their state pension because they've got over 10 years worth of income. Now, obviously, they're going to need to top up the state pension, but suddenly that person who started retirement at uh, retirement planning at 20 is in a strong position. Now, somebody at 30 who's still young, their pension would only... Uh, if they only started paying in at age 30, their pension would be worth £151,000. That's nearly £100,000 less for simply starting the pension 10 years later. So you can see the knock-on effect already. Again, somebody who is age 40 and only just started paying in, their pension would be worth £83,000. If that person is only has been earning £20,000, that £83,000 is not going to last very long. They're going to need to work a lot closer to state pension age. And finally, 
not many people are in this circumstances, but those who are, uh, uh, you know, are, are really in trouble. It's it's a bit too late for this generation. But if somebody only starts paying into their pension at, f at age fifty and paying the minimum, their pension value is going to be worth thirty thousand pounds by age sixty, which is not much when it when that person requires a twenty grand income. So. Lessons to take away today, just nice and easy before we go on to our off-topic section. The earlier you can pay into a pension, the better. Now, it's great now there's laws that uh, you have to aut be automatically enrolled and you, um, you have to opt out if you don't want to pay in. So that means most people will be paying in because they probably can't be bothered to pull out. If you are one of the people that, that withdrew from the pension scheme, I would say get in it as soon as possible or have a look at an advisor, set one up for you. It's the best thing you'll do. Trust me, even though now all you're seeing is a little bit less from your wage every month, nobody likes after, you know reducing the, the take-home pay. But believe me, when you're getting past age 15, you've got one eye on retirement. If you've got that, comfort blanket knowing that you're going to be able to take that amazing round the world cruise or you're going to be able to retire quicker than your parents did it will make all the difference now trust me now on to our off topic section now i'm glad i didn't record this yesterday because i was a bit a bit annoyed yesterday so for context i'm recording this on friday the 27th of november Yesterday, the government announced the tier system when people are coming out of this second lockdown. I, as I've said, live in Lancashire, live uh, just outside of Chorley in a small village. Now, the Chorley borough have quite a low R number. The cases per 100,000 people isn't bad at all. It's one of the... Um, it's in the upper quartile in the country of, of better places that are avoiding the virus. However, Lancashire have been placed into tier three lockdown, largely because of hot points like Preston, uh, Blackburn and Darwin, which have all got fairly high R numbers still. Now, I was a bit annoyed because, well, I, I won't beat around the bush, it's because the the, the pubs aren't opening and I, and I love to I'd like to go and have a pint or go out for a meal which I'm not going to be able to do it's going to have to be takeaways until Christmas but I was quite conflicted about it I was initially I was quite angry a lot of people on Facebook and Twitter etc were sharing well how has London gone into tier 2 when Lancashire have got better numbers and largely I took a lot of the numbers at face value now uh, a gentleman messaged me on Instagram yesterday. I shared a post saying I wasn't sure what to think about these numbers. And he messaged me saying, apparently, from his understanding, is Lancashire still higher risk because of the how condensed the population is? So, okay, it might have a lower number than London per 100,000 people. But if that number rises to a similar level of London... Or, or, or even just before, he was talking about how, how quickly that would spread and make Lancashire a, a much more of a hot point, which it makes sense. At the end of the day, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not one of these that will say 5G is going to 
fry your brains or or what whatever the, the the story this week is at the end of the day it is proven that this virus does can has and will kill people you know people will die from having this virus whether you think the numbers have been inflated or not probably they have done and they have been and all there was a bit of a scandal that covid was just going on everybody's birth certificate uh, sorry birth certificate death certificate that there was a bit of uproar around that understandably so but the fact of the matter is is that it can still kill people and i am in that view that one person is too much but at the same time i do think there needs to be a bit more of a leeway now for example i'm not just saying this because i like a pint but some of the safest places i've been in uh, were at pubs so when lancashire was in tier three last time round and you could only have a drink with a substantial meal i felt very safe for example i was having a meal on the last day before the second lockdown started at our local show a bit of support and obviously have a couple of merry drinks with a nice nice tea i was very safe they, they had a singer on i was sat in my bubble with my family who, who i live with they could see the singer the only time i left my seat was to go to the toilet the the landlord was very certain and strict that when you got up you had to wear a mask when you go into the toilet you had to sanitize it was a very clean and hygienic environment and certainly even though you could talk to somebody on the next table you weren't in any risk uh, of mi- of mixing uh, and therefore passing anything on so i was a, a bit annoyed that i wasn't going to be able to do that but at the same time if the the area is deemed high risk then who am i to to say that my, my needs my selfish needs are more important than somebody else's is life because because they're certainly not obviously a lot of my perspective on covid has been from a work perspective where i've talked about the impact of it on a financial markets how it's affected mortgage markets, insurance pre- premiums, etc. And it, it was something that I had to really wrestle with my conscience, uh, conscience about earlier this year. And I did struggle a lot with that because I didn't want to turn this into just something where I was talking about the numbers, you know, the, talking about, well, your portfolio might go up if the R number drops below this because it's people's lives at the end of the day and you can't reduce it to just numbers it's got to be you've got to think of the human factor involved here and as annoying as it is as as rubbish as this year has been we've got to try and work towards normality and normality is not going to happen if we can't contain the virus and it can't go away do i think this government could have acted better probably but nobody was ever going to get this right completely whether it's labor lib dems green party the raving monster lunatic party no one was going to get all the decisions right what i will say now and what i think is is the likely outcome this tier system is going to be reviewed every two weeks i'm told that means the week before christmas will be uh, lancashire's next review i've got a feeling 
that we will be dropped into tier two so everybody can go and have a drink over Christmas. Obviously, you're meant to be doing that with a substantial meal, but chances are is that that will largely be ignored. Probably why we're, we're in quite a mess and in the highest tier. But I do think that for two weeks, the rules will be relaxed. A lot of people will try and forget their troubles. Obviously, families are going to be able to mix in higher numbers over over the Christmas period. I think they're talking about up to 18 people for five days. And then I think there's going to be another drop in, in January where we're in either another full lockdown or, or in, in tight restrictions again until the vaccine is more widespread. Now, that is the silver lining to all this, is that a vaccine has been found by numerous large pharmaceutical companies. Hopefully, they start getting pushed out soon. I know a lot of people who are who are now being branded anti-vax or you know people who don't want the vaccine are out there. And that's fine. I don't. It's a human right, in my opinion. I don't think anybody should be forced to have it. But at the end of the day, anybody who who's nervous and and wary of the virus and and, and wants to, you know, probably have the peace of mind more than anything else, they will be taking the the, the vaccine. And I think that that is where we are heading now. People are talking about spring or April for for everything to be you know getting back to normal hopefully it's a lot sooner than that i know i'm personally gutted because i can't go out or currently as it stands i won't be able to go out on boxing day which is my favorite day of the year uh, me and all my friends who've grown up in the same village known each other all for 20 years or so growing up as kiddies and to where we are now everybody's out together i will miss that this year but i think that you've got to look at the uh, the bigger picture um, I, I I haven't been personally affected by COVID. I've never had it. Nobody in my inner circle has had it. But recently and across the summer, you know, people who are, who I do and who my family care about have had uh, have been affected by it. And when you see that heartbreak, suddenly it, it it does hit home that you've got to consider the other people at, at, at this point. As annoying as it is, all I want is a nice cold pint of Guinness with my mates and a, and a bag of pork scratchings. I've got to put my somewhat selfish needs to one side. So does everybody, you know, trying to think for the, uh, the, the the greater good. So hopefully that explains my, my position on it and it all opens up a bit more discussion. Let me know what you think, if you think I'm talking rubbish and that 5G is going to fry all our brains and that it's a government conspiracy to make us into a cashless society, or if you agree with me or you're somewhere in between. Let me know your thoughts. If you've got any questions around pensions or what you can and can't do with your pensions, send me a message on Instagram. Here we come. It's another plug for the Instagram, but it's at thinking underscore finance, at thinking underscore finance. Thank you again so much for listening. Next week, we're going to be talking about saving money, how to get the most out of your, your wage and saving money on a monthly basis. I know a lot of people requested that when I said I was starting a podcast. Again, please share. Give me all the feedback you want. Put a review on your, uh, your favourite platform. Let your friends, let your family know about it. Whatever you want to hear, send me a message. Again, thank you for listening.